Um, last few years, we've been miyaked to speak about someone who, um, from our Kufa, our Zalavonin, our Adira Teira, that um, we've lost and so on. Last year, we spoke about someone who lived through it and was a Ud Muslim Asian. This year, we'll also speak about somebody who was, in many ways, the Arzalavonin, the, the, the Ud that lived through it from beginning to the end. <laughs> the person is the Kloisenberger Rebbe. I, um, my father's Renevracha was together with him in the DP camps and would tell me about him. Um, my father occasionally took me to Tish when I was a very young boy. Um, we would walk over the bridge and we would, uh, I would see it as a young boy. It left an impression. As an older person, I heard him, well, I once went to hear him speak. He was mostly Italian, but he was on Yerushalayim, so I went to Yerushalayim to speak. And so I have a glimpse of the person, but not, nothing. But I want to talk a little bit about the, the, the extraordinary demus. To talk about Cosmo Rebbe, we need to go back a few days because in certain ways, he was an embodiment of a certain mahalach. The, 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 the founder of the Sansa Shoshelis, of the Sansa dynasty, was the Divre Chaim. Divre Chaim was born in the 1790s, and he passed away around 1980. Um, he was a Talmud Chochem Otsum. He was a Goyen Adir Divre Chaim. He was one of those Gedoyla Hasidus that was recognized in. Um, by the whole world as being a Goyen. And the Mela, it, it allowed Hasidus to become accepted because there was, there, there was no Urim on him, Mitzad as being a Talmud Chacham, and Mitzad his, um, his Kedusha and Tahara. People were knowing only with the specific Hasidus, they were Tainus. But the Dever Chaim was someone, Reb Chaim Sanza was someone who was above, uh, above reproach in any way. He was a, a, a Goyen Muflog. He wrote, we have chuvas of his, the Chaim, that are classic chuvas, um, mm-hmm. tremendous chrifas, ideas. He was a tremendous zoyer in mitzvahs, in a, in a, in a, in a kitsonistic way, tremendous medactic in mitzvahs, tremendous ascetic. Oivet Hashem davening with a tremendous islavus, extraordinary. And very, very extreme in terms of chesed and socket. They said that he never left a prut in his house overnight, that he was mechalak um, There was, he, he was an extraordinarily extreme person in every shetach of Torah, um, whether it's Talmud Chacham, whether it's Tfila, whether it's chesed, Dikduka Mitzvahs, Yerus Hashem. He, one of the inyanim that he fought for was there was a certain chesidus that was becoming going into Mahalach that seemed to him very comfortable and a little bit too indulgent and he was lechem strongly against it. It was a very, very, it was a big toher and Yireh Hashem. That was Abchaim Sanza. His great-grandson was a Kloisenberger Rebbe, Ben Achaben. He was born in 1905 in a, in a small, in a town in Galicia called Rudnik. And he was a um, he was a brilliant, brilliant child. And in many ways, what we know of him and what we saw of him sounds like the stories about his great-grandfather. 
he was he was a he was a going awesome. Um, he would say as Titian Friday night the f the first stickle was tired. You could say two two and a half hours of pilpul on a ktsais. Um It was uh, he, he mean he knew no time and 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 he had a tremendous you know his um, his passion and learning was extraordinary. He um, he so he was a, he was a ilui. He was a very special child, and his father was his rebbe. At the age of 14, he lost his father. He said a husband of his father that astounded the Kehillah. Um, and at the age of 15, he went around to G'dayla Yisrael to, to get smicha, to do shimush. And at Echad, they were all extremely nispoiled from him. I mean, they write about him extraordinary things. He was, he was, a, he was a prodigy. At the age of 15 or so, the one of the Gedolei Rabbanim, the Atzechayim from Sigit Nungri, took him as a son-in-law, and he he uh, eventually became Rav in Kloisenberg, which was in Transylvania, was the capital of Transylvania, which which sort of <coughs> valgued between different countries. But the, to us, it's Hungary, as far as we're concerned. He um, he had eleven children. And of Rabbanis, and he was, and he was becoming famous. This was at the age of uh, 35, when the war broke out. So at 35, he was Chashavarov. Klosenberg was was quite a. It was a, was a was an established city. It was a bigger city rather than a town. It was something where he was known as a Goyen Olam. Other cities wanted him to come in also, and to um, Rudnik had asked him, he would go occasionally to Rudnik back and fetish there. Um, and he had, he was married to one of the, the uh, Dela Dara's daughters and 11 extraordinary children. He once said that they had very special neshamas. And then the war broke out, 1940. 1940 war broke out, he, they went to Hungary. <coughs> it, they, they were running at the time, they, they got to Hungary. In Hungary, the, the, the Nazis didn't actually come in till 44. And there were a few years of difficult, the Hungarians themselves, they, they split up, they, they, there was a pact, they split up Transylvania, and they went to Hungary, and the Hungary had nationalists that were real anti-Semites, but it was still within the range of, of, the, of the bearable, of the, um, the normal anti-Semitism, let's call it. In 1944, the Germans broke through, captured it, captured Hungary, and even though the Germans already smelled that they were defeated, the Russians had broken through already, and I think Ukraine had already been passed back to Russia, the Russia taken it, and so on, they, um, the, 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 the Nazis had one thing on their mind, and that was to be Oike Shem Yisrael, and they came into Hungary, and they began the process. The Rebbe lost his wife and 11 children. He once said, in later years, he said over, it says by Yaakov, he said, Yaakov took his wife and 11 children 
and passed them over the Nachal. He said, I also did, but it was a Nachal of blood, not water, and he lost it, everyone. He was in prison, a labor camp in Hungary for a few weeks, and then was sent off to Auschwitz. He was there a few months, and then there was a, the, the Germans decided that they need a battalion, they need a battalion of workers <coughs> to clear out the Warsaw Ghetto. Warsaw Ghetto had been totally destroyed, and they, A, thought maybe they'd find valuables, and I don't know, whatever reason they had to clear it. He was sent off with a whole group of uh, people from Auschwitz selected to go there. They worked a few weeks, and then you have to understand what it means to work a few weeks. The, 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 they would clear buildings that were half bombed without m many tools, and if a building collapsed on them, it collapsed on them. So be it. That was, that, was the, that was the work. At some point, the Germans realized it's, it's, not, it's, it's um, not good. They, they, they need to get rid of the Jews. They took them to a place, told them to get undressed. There were ditches, there, were ditches there and they were standing with the machine guns, and people were saying, Vidui. <coughs> and a car drove by, uh, an, uh, uh, the, the commander of, the, of, of, the, of uh, the German commander of Warsaw, or Poland, um, jumped out and he said, we need these workers immediately in Dachau. In Dachau, they're building things for the army. We need every single one of them. So he took them, brought them to Dachau. The bringing to Dachau, was probably the worst and hardest and most <coughs> difficult part of it. The Germans made them walk or run 120 kilometers first to get to a train. You're talking about people that hadn't eaten, that people hadn't drunk, people that were emaciated skeletons. The Germans drove in cars and whipped them if anybody fell they went for four days, 35 kilometers a day approximately. They gave them bread, <laughs> salted cheese, and nothing to drink. And this was a sport by the Germans to, to, um, to, to uh, sort of to thirst them to death. It was something which is unfathomable. I mean, they, they, they wanted it. They didn't want the, 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 the workers. But they went and they, um, they marched, and people were ready to do anything to drink. And then um, the, uh, and, and it, was, it was a game, it was a deliberate game. And if anybody stopped by the side to drink something, they would get, they would get whipped, clubbed, or killed. They walked like that for four days in a hot sun. One of those days was Tishabov. Tishabov, almost <coughs> 70 years ago. The Rebbe on Tishabov didn't wear shoes and he walked barefoot. And the German soldier noticed it and he, and he pointed that he should walk on the side 
where they have the little rocks on the shoulder of the road, rocks and glass, that, that's where he should go. He walked around there. He tried to slip out. The soldier saw it and shot him. And he fell with a, hole, with a bullet hole in his side. He realized that if he stays there, he's going to die. And therefore, he, he grabbed some leaves, wet leaves, stuffed it on the wound, and slipped back in the, in, in the march. The last day, there was a nice scuttle, and this is, this many people wrote about, even friar people who were there, it's written up. At night, they had them go to sleep in a dark field. <coughs> and to, while they were on the road, people tried to sip all sorts of stuff that was coming on the side, and the Rebbe would tell them, don't. It's poison, don't, don't. They finally came and they collapsed, and the Rebbe whispered that people should start digging. And everybody, whatever they had, they used to dig. And at some point, water began spouting from the ground. And they had lots of water to drink. And it was only in the morning that the Germans saw that they actually had water. To give an, an understanding of, of how deep rock could be, one of the sports of the Germans was they had them, they had them, on this long march, they called for rest, and they had them rest next to a river. And if anybody dared drink from the river, they would shoot him, because they said it was too dangerous to go there. Might get, they might drown. It's it's hard to fathom how deep riches can be. The the tahoim rabba of of riches is unimaginable. But that's what it was. After four days of this. Uh, where many, many of the people died. I think a third of a four or a fourth maybe survived this march. They were herded into trains. And for four days, they were stuffed. They could only stand, and that's it. There's nothing else to do but stand. Their needs was in place. They couldn't get any water. So it rained once or twice, so the water that dripped in from the top, they couldn't sit, they, nothing, crushed together, four days. And finally, when they got to Dachau, a big part of the train was dead. And, um, and it, then they, they went to work in Dachau, schlepping bricks and concrete and stuff like that. The description of the Rebbe in that Kufa, from many people, and not from people either. The Rebbe lived in his own world. The Rebbe never ate anything that wasn't kosher, that was a chashash, that wasn't kosher. The Rebbe managed never to be Mechal Shabbos. <coughs> the Rebbe managed, he would have, he, he, his minhagim, something he, he would daven under his breath, He went around one Friday, I forgot which camp it was, it was the, maybe the first camp, and one Friday he went around to people and said, Rachmanim, they Rachmanim, he said, I, in, in Sanz there was a Heiligeminic to eat onion on Shabbos, could somebody spare me a small, uh, a, 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 a small bit of onion? That was, 
he's he, he had a minute to say Torah Shalashudas no matter what. Miyoyim that he started his Rabbanis and he would sit and say Torah to himself. On in nobody listening he would say. It was extraordinary. It was something that really was not not to be understood the Kaychas Nefesh that was needed for it. He counseled other people to eat. And he told them they have to eat. He felt that he was different. And he never, ever, he, um, he, 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 he never was in Chal Shabbos, never ate tarfis, did everything possible that, he, that could possibly be done. He had film for a long time. Um, <coughs> and there are different kufas was taken away, he managed to find others. Very incredible story of what he, of, 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 of him able to keep himself. And when they were liberated, when the Americans liberated them, he, the first thing he told the soldiers said, you're free, the Americans said, and um, you know, you're free to go, and uh, you know, very soon we're gonna bring you food and stuff. He turned to the soldier and said, there are Jewish people here, and they need special food, and it's called kosher food. Please get us kosher food. He, right outside the camp, this was in Dachau, there was a brook with water that was there teasing people. They, the, the amount that they could drink, they would get a little sludge once or twice a day, so-called coffee, to drink. And they would sit and look at this, and people's eyes would pop out waiting to be able to drink. And the Rebbe, as soon as they were free, and they could go out, he ran to the river and was table himself. And he said, I was so scared I would die without being table myself. And then he asked for a cup and he made a shahakal. And many years later he would say, the only time I made a bracha like a yid was that shahakal on that glass of water. And I thought it would last with me, and it didn't last with me. You have to understand, the, the, the people that were freed were not people. They, they, were, they were pieces of bone attached with pieces of flesh. There wasn't anything there. This was, at some say, veshes. And in, in spirit, in heart, everything. These people were gone. And the first thing the Rebbe did after he asked the soldiers, he drained them a cup to get food that was kosher, at least not a, not a problem. Then that Friday night, he organized the minion. And he needed a talus. People didn't have a yarmulke. He wasn't, a soldier gave him something to drink, water to drink. And he saw his drinking, he says, what's the matter? And he points to his head that he needs a yarmulke, he needs a piece of cloth to put on his head. He, they managed to get a piece of, they managed to get a piece of cloth some place, and he found wool, and he sat most of Friday unthreading the, the wool and putting in tzitzis. He ended up with the rice naked tzitzis, he could only do one kesha, it was, it was so tedious, the whole thing. I mean, doing by hand, taking wool and making tzitzis out of hand is, is difficult. Um, and he ended up, and he davened for the Amit. And he said, Hoidu, Yoimra Gula Yisrael, Gula Hashem, Ashagolomi Yatsar, 
an hour and a half of Haidu where people were able to release some of the Tsar. There was a tremendous, it, it, it was a Kabbalah Shabbos that was incredible. It, and it was the Rebbe Shle, nobody had the spirit, the mind, the heart, and the Shama. P- people were, were, were dead. There wasn't anything there alive anymore. And the Rebbe was the spark that, that sparked it. There was, he private tish. They found some potatoes, and that was his tish. There was one extraordinary shinui, one eerie change that he made that never explained himself, but it's sort of, you can sort of stab a guess at it. It was, it was a change in Nusach that the Divri Chaim made the last Friday that he was alive, the last Friday night that he was alive. In the Rebbein Elamim that the Chassidim say between uh, Shalom Aleichem, Shizchayel, there's a long Nusach, and it says over there that I was um, I made my beds and so Ramaz Friday night and I lit my candles the last Friday night of the Divrei Chaim's life he said I sent up my beds in flame and I've offered up my candles. Rebbe never explained what he meant, but it's fairly easy to feel that I sent up in smoke everything I possess in this world, and all I can offer you is nearest neshama of 11 children and a wife. He once made a reshima for the American government when he had to meet somebody of a thousand cousins that he knew by name, a thousand family members that no longer were there. Mother, uncles, aunts, it was a big mishpacha, it was a chash mishpacha. And Kemat, he was Kemat, the only survivor of that. And he said, HaKadosh Baruch granted me my life only to do something. And from the first second, he was cajoling people, convincing people to, to begin to come back to Yiddishkeit. And my father was together with him. My father, my father was in Dachau also and ended up in the same DP camp. My father was from Lithuania, but the Bosan Cheyr of Bilbal Salem. And he was actually close. The, the, the Rebbe would pass in all the Aguna Shailas without Svarim. He, he would write the Truvis Balpeh. He was incredible. Um, he feared Tish. He, 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 he was Tevea people to keep doing and to keep and, and, and to, um, to, to be choizel to machzhaftam. Whether it was people who were strange for Yiddishkeit or Hamish Yidin who had dropped it. He, he was one of those who really, he, he was the moving force behind it. He organized Shechita, he, 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 he kashras, mikveh, um, kisurosh for women, learning with kids, a yeshiva, a cheder. And you're talking about, you're talking about conditions where you had nothing. You, you, you're talking about, this was after, the, after being freed, but it was, it was something that was not, uh, it, it was something that wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, people were physically not functioning, 
people were emotionally and mentally not there. There, there was, I mean, the, the, the U.S. government was nice. They bought food stuff. But that was it. And the the Rebbe was like from a different world, it, rekindling. He was like it was like a, it, was, it was like an Ish Tamid Tukad, rebuilding, rekindling, reawakening, and so on. He, on the first in Kippur, if you'll find it written up, Lieutenant Birnbaum, Mayor Birnbaum, who just passed away, he was an army chaplain. He remembered the first in Kippur night, the Rebbe Davent, called Nidre. And the Rebbe spoke. And the Rebbe said, he went through the Vidu, and he said, Ashamnu, Bagadnu, the Vidu wasn't written for us. We had nothing we could do, and there was nothing, you know, we had no ability to do mitzvahs, and no ability to refrain from virus, and so on. Um, and then he said, when he finished, he said, so what is our vidu? He said, our vidu is that none of us here believed that we would be here. We lost faith in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And he said, and that's a terrible area that we need to be true for. That when we were marching in that long march, when we, when we were down to 60, 70 pounds, when, when, when everything was gone, that we gave up hope, that we didn't understand, that didn't believe that HaKadosh Baruch would bring us here, that's what we have to do tshuva for. And if there was one Indian that he pushed and that, that was in it with other people, for himself he had his anhagas that were strange anhagas, otherworldly anhagas of, of tzitkis that just, it's, it's, we can look at it, we can gaze at it, but it's not something we have shaykhs to. But if we have things that we have shaykhs to, it's going to be his ability. He would go to people, and he was always ma'ayded, and always telling him, have a muna, it's going to happen, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will, 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 will take us out of here, and so on and so forth. That was something that he kept on. That, that muna was what he gave to others. The, um, he would quote often a Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar, which he embodied, and it's a, it's a Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar that if we wouldn't know him, we would never believe it to be true. He would say, there's a, a Chavis Lavavis says, Eloikai, Hiraftani. Chavis Lavavis quotes one of Chassidim Rishonim, that he was in a terrible dis, dis, distress, and he said, Eloikai, Hiraftani, Ve'erum Azaftani, you've hungered me, and you've left me naked. And you've tossed me into darkness. I swear by your strength and by your powers. Even if you burn me in fire, all I'll add is more simcha, more ava. And he would say very often himself, he would say, I came out of the war with nothing. I left my wife, my children, my kehillah, my kravim, my rabbonis, everything is gone. But you, I never left behind. When he remarried a second time, to very Ungvar, um, he said under the chuppah, the reason why I was zeicha, 
to what to, to come back again and to rebuild again is because I never ever lost my moon in Akarish Baruchu. And I never lost my Avafakarish Baruchu. And I held on the entire way. There was a friar person in the camps that was at some particularly difficult moment asked him, Nurebe, Atavachatanu, that's, uh, are you still with Atavachatanu? Are you still saying with Kavana? So the Rebbe said, with a lot more Kavana than I ever said it. He said, take a look <coughs> at them and take a look at us. Tell me the truth. Would you rather be there? Would you rather be a Nazi or a victim? He said, he says, takes on a whole new meaning to me when I see it. When the Rebbe came back, when the Rebbe came to America first, and then he settled mostly in Eretz Yisrael, he built up Kiryat Sanz. Two of the things that he accomplished, he, he, rebuilt, he rebuilt many families who were not Kloisenbergers, who were not Sanza, not Chassidish, but El Chayidin, the Chesed, he rebuilt a community. He built a community in Williamsburg first, in Union City, and Eretz Yisrael. But there were two things that he undertook that were really, really, had no, nothing with Sanz after Kloisenberg. And both of them took, and both of them uh, took up his energy and his time and his fundraising capacity. And, and he had nothing for it. One was the Mifalashas. He was very upset with the fact that there are no Tamir Chomte, they had no Shas, that know it well. And just to learn it with in the Nusaf that they that he had grown up with, where you learn a lot, Nahazar a lot, know a lot. And he created an organization, Mifla Shas, which was not Kloisenberg. It was an independent organization, and they had a set pace to learn, and it's still around. And you get Bechinis once a month and get paid something for it. So like it was a forerunner of what of the issue is, a little bit different. And the people that took the Bechinis were all sorts of young light, people kipotsugot, people with hats, people with trimals. They all took it. It was not dedicated to any one chalik of Klai Yisrael. It was for everyone. And it's a phenomenal amount of money. It was open for anyone. And the second thing was on Yaro Hospital. He built a hospital in Netanya. Again, it's not Kloisenberg Hospital. It doesn't offer any special service to Kloisenberg. It's just a hospital. And he asked, he, um, they asked him once why. He said when he was laying in the ditch with a bullet hole in his side and a few wet leaves to cover it with, he made a nether that if he gets out of there, nobody hurt, is, no human being hurt is not going to have a place to come to for help. And that's why this was, this was a realization of how important Rifu is, and he made it. <laughs> when, he, when he made the hospital, he went, there was a lot of opposition from the government. The government, first of all, felt it was overkill. They, they had a plan for two or three other hospitals in Tanya, which never ever were built. And they also didn't like the fact, whatever it is, the person who was running it was a Mapamnik, and he didn't particularly think that a, a Rebbe should be running a hospital. A Rebbe should run a Stiebel and, and a Minion, and that's it. And he told the Kloisenberg, listen, Rebbe, you have religious interests. 
So I'll tell you what. I will build the hospitals, we'll staff it, you give the heksha on it. You'll give the heksha on the food, and you'll give the heksha after something medical, whatever it is, we'll let you be the rav. And he told him, just like a rav teaches Torah, he teaches chesed. It's for too long the kilkel has been that everything, that rabbonim are just there for hashgacha. Rabbonim are there as a fount of chesed. And that's what I'm doing. The, um, and he created, he, he put, I mean, the, the, the effort and the energy that went in to raise money for these uh, hospitals. And they told him, somebody came to him and said, maybe we should put, like in every room, like nice little booklets explaining about Yiddishkeit, how wonderful it is, how good it is. And the Rebbe said, no, that's what missionaries do. He says, when a person will walk into a hospital and be greeted by a doctor and a nurse the way a Yid is supposed to greet a Yid who's sick, and he's given the care and the attention that the Torah wants to give us, that would be the biggest message about, about Torah. I don't need a booklet. If you need a booklet explaining it, then you, then you haven't done your job. He needs to get the best care in a most important, in the most heartfelt way. And there's no bigger message of what Torah is, of, of, of what Chesed is, of what Torah Shal Chesed is. The Rebbe was Nifta, actually a few weeks after my father was Nifta, it was 94. In his tzavah, he left an incredible tzavah, and he writes in it. He asks people to give him schusim, and he says, you know, Chazal say that for certain Averis, people's children die. If I lost my wife and children, I'm far, far from being innocent. And yes, therefore, for people to schusim for him, his neshama, and so on, he said, I owe HaKadosh Baruch so much, and I am so flawed, and so on. And that was his savor. The, 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 um, the story is an incredible story. It's a person who lived through Bechol Nafshecha, for after Sashem Akev Bechol Nafshecha Kipshutoi, in a ways that we can't think are humanly possible. Just not possible. To, I mean, we're talking about keeping kosher. You, you, you're talking about people who haven't eaten who, who, for, 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 for months. You're talking about any time you had water and Tulsidain came before drinking. You're talking about not walking, walking 35 kilometers barefoot because it's Tisha B'Av. You're talking about Hanhagas that are just not Hanhagas of a person. And there, was some, there was a quality about him that was extraterrestrial. He was, he was sort of not Shaykh. I mean, he would, he would speak, he would speak in learning, he would speak in Torah, he would go, he would just go off and lose himself. He could speak for hours. He'd Indian to Indian. Um, things about him that were definitely of a different world. But for us, there's one important nekuda that we need to hold on to. We spoke about a hesped holding on to somebody. The Auschwitz is Admas Kodesh. We don't have words to talk about it. We don't have words to describe it. By Yidoy Maron, 
It's not a place we can talk about. There are people who cry out in tsar. And those are genuine cries of tsar. And a person is not nidoin, not nitfas for shas, for, 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 for tsar. No one could have gone through it and had the words to say. And it's, that's, a, that's another chilek of Dibur. There are those who trample it with the regal gasa. There are those who come well-fed, well-showered, dressed nicely for a speaking engagement and, and present their side of the things, klapi kuchabrichu. And there's a bas called Yoitzis, Altenideni Regal Gaiva. Don't trample me with a haughty fat foot. HaKadosh Baruch Hu was there with a Gilui, with a Gilui Naira, but a Gilui Naira. But one person whose coattails whose thread of the thread of the coattails we can hang on to. That there was a bus of a dumb that was there with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It was a bus of a dumb. And a person who's Dovik in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Bikdusha Betara, of Adivri Chaim's great-grandson, of Taira. He was a young boy, he once asked his father. He would say that many times when he remembered his father. He remembered, he was a, he was a precocious child. He asked his father once about the Nisayin Da'akeda, why was it so big if so many Ketoshim and Tahirim did it? And he told him that because HaKadosh Baruch Hu told him asher hafta. and when HaKadosh Baruch Hu said asher hafta, it created an Ava Ein Seifis in Avram to Yitzchak. And he had to be oimed on that also, that Tzivu Yevahaleu had to, had to match the tzivui of Ashahafta. He was a person that was coolly regish, coolly caught up in regish. And his, and his suffering and sense of things was much sharper than ours from the emotional side. And he felt that the schus was that he held on to it by Shalom and, he, and those are the words that he kept saying. He is with us. He came before us because, because he made this place for us. He held on in conditions that we don't understand, we'll never understand. And with, with, with his holy words of knowing, of, of, of saying that HaKadosh Baruch was with him, we can also say those words. We can say his words. And it gives us a small achizah that to, to in, in something that is, that, is, that is beyond us, that we have no shaykhs to. Schusa yogin aleinu, the Erez al-Vonein. Erez al-Vonein. Dire, Tiger. Halei, Jason, B'mishon, 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 B'mishon